Hello everyone, Kirk Hamilton here with just a quick note about the episode you were about to listen to. This is a Final Fantasy VII spoiler cast, aka Beans cast, that we recorded a couple of weeks ago and released into the Maximum Fun bonus content feed. Ordinarily, these types of bonus episodes are just for Maximum Fun members, but for this first one, we decided to put it into the main feed a little bit later so that you could all hear it. If you want to find out more about how to support us making Triple Click and support Maximum Fun as such a great listener-supported network, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. All right, on with the Beanscast. I'm Maddie Myers. I'm Jason Shire. And I'm Kirk Hamilton. And here we are for our first Triple Click Beanscast, which is our name (laughs) for a spoiler cast. Yeah. Because, well, should I explain this? I guess I'm going to explain it. Why not? Yeah, tell the story. I'm going to explain where Beanscast comes from. So my nine-year-old niece apparently does not say spoilers. She does not use the word spoilers. And I don't know if she's familiar with the term. And instead, she says, spill the beans. So instead Mm -hmm. of spoiling someone on something, you say that you've spilled the beans. I am quite taken with this, as I believe are the two of you, as a way of describing um, spilling (laughs) the secrets of a story or talking about what happens in the end. Um, She also calls um, people who spill the beans are called spillers. Mm -hmm. And uh, you don't want to be a spiller in general on our podcast but we decided that since we're going to be doing these um, bonus um, spoiler casts for people about games you know each month mostly for members though this one eventually will go out to everybody uh, we decided that we would call them beans casts because it's a it's a good name (laughs) they're full of beans and they're full of beans (laughs) they are they are very they're full of beans they're delicious they give you gas they do we're going to engage in some beans talk and i'm very excited to talk about uh, the game that we're going to be talking about, which is, of course, Final Fantasy VII Remake. Remake. Of course. Remake. We've all beaten it. Here we go. The beans yeah. are about to be spilled. <laughs> Should we at least say that we're going to spill the beans on Remake and then later we'll spill right. the beans on the original Final Fantasy VII? Yeah, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the whole game starting from the very yep. beginning and we'll talk through the story. And then at the end, once we hit the ending of the remake, we will also spoil the original Final Fantasy VII, which includes the entire game, not just the parts mm-hmm. in Midgar um, in which the remake takes place. We're going to spoil all we'll of the original you. Final Fantasy VII. We will VII. warn you. Because it's so we're going to talk about the, the from the beginning here. We will talk about things that happen at the end of FF Seven Remake. Like there's not going to be a point in the middle of this episode where then we talk about the ending of FF Seven Remake. Right. So if yes. you haven't played FF Seven Remake and don't want to be spoiled on it. Don't listen to any of this. Right. Like we're going to immediately get into it, and <laughs> beans will be spilled. Yes. Beans. We're going to give spilled. our impressions, and we're going to talk about the end. Yeah. Also, play the game. It's a good game. It's, it's great. Go check yeah, it out. Go play it. But the Final <laughs> Fantasy VII, the original 1997 game, that will also be spoiled in its entirety. But that only in the second half. That will wait until later. So, the reason this confusing. is so complicated will become clear to you once you get to that part yeah. of yes. the show. Um, Blame remake for being the way that it is. Honestly. Well, I kind of love it, but we'll get <laughs> to great. that. It's great. It's um, great. All right. Without further ado, let's get through the game. So Final Fantasy VII Remake, of course, is a uh, 2020 remake of a, two th- of a 1997 video game. It tells the story of Cloud, a mercenary who says he used to be part of an organization called Soldier. Um, they, it, the remake is part one of an entire series. We don't know how many parts there are going to be, but this one takes place. And basically, it takes the first five hours of the original game and expands them into like this 40-hour extravaganza. 40 hours? Um, right. And the game starts off... As 
as Cloud is conscripted to join this group called Avalanche, which is run by a guy named Barrett. Um, although in the remake, it's actually a huge organization and it has a bunch of cells yeah. and Barrett is There's an HQ. <laughs> the original game is just like Barrett's little crew, yep. like crew, as right. far as we as know. As far as we know, um, yeah. But in this, there's like crits. That's one of the most mind-boggling things about this game. But anyway, so um, Cloud joins and the game starts off with Cloud kind of reluctantly, stoically joining Barrett and um, Jesse and uh, Wedge and Biggs, who and are Biggs. the other members, the other fun little members of Avalanche, to blow up a Mako reactor, which is uh, a Shinra. Shinra is the organization that controls Midgar. They're kind of like a mix between a, an evil corporation and an evil government entity because they control everything, the everything. media, the energy, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Um, and they use these reactors to extract this Mako energy from the planet and convert it into electricity. And so Avalanche is going to blow up this reactor. And that's where you start off the game and you're introduced to Cloud, you're introduced to Barrett, who is this uh, walking stereotype who is has a gun for an arm and is pretty cool. Um, yeah, we can talk about that, I guess. I mean, <laughs> Barrett is like noted for being one of the prominent black characters in video games and being famous for that, but people have a lot of mixed feelings about him because even in the original iteration, people had mixed feelings about him. And it's kind of sad to me that those mixed feelings are going to continue with this version because Bo Billingsley's voice acting, I mean, he's a great voice actor, you know, famous for Cowboy Bebop, etc. But the voice he's chosen to do here is just playing on the exact same stereotypes that the original game played on. It's like one of the examples of something that isn't changed and you just still have this like tough black guy character who seems like a stereotype across the board. And well, it's, it's more just than just tough. Bad. It's like angry, yeah. cursing, like very yep. much like and threatening other people. I, although there are some changes they've made, like when you get on the train together as avalanche, like Barrett is sort of threatening the other people on the train car, but he doesn't hit one of them. Like he does in the original <laughs> game. Like there's some, subtle things that they do in in the mix where I'm like, well, okay, they're at least making Barrett like a little bit less of a hothead. But also when he lectures Cloud about Avalanche's goals, I think the problem with Barrett the whole time or, or perhaps the strength of Barrett at the same time is that he's right. And like, he's right. correct to be as angry as he is. But it's also he's sort of presented as a buffoon for being as angry as he is. And mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that was intended on the part of the game. I don't I don't think he should be presented as a buffoon. I think he should be presented as correct because yeah. Shinra right. is destroying the planet and he is giving all these monologues about how that's happening. But he's right. That's all happening. And it should well, stop. Well, so one of the things that's sad is that you don't actually get to see the reason for his anger in this game right. because that comes up later in the story, like the mm-hmm. actual justification behind But I mean, even just politically, you get to see some of the reason why he's angry. Sure. You get to see that Shrinra is drawing power from this life force that's inside the planet. And you understand enough from that plot scaffolding to be like, this is actually really bad and it's going to destroy the planet. Mm-hmm. And that's why this terrorist group is actually out against Shinra and obviously debating for the entire game about whether their actions are moral or not. I mean, that's Tifa's arc. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think that this opening sequence is probably Barrett's toughest moment only because it's kind of everybody's toughest moment. Like it's a sequence where all of the characters are 
interacting with one another in a very surface level way because they don't know each other very well. It isn't Mm -hmm. until we get to Tifa, which we haven't quite gotten to, I guess, in this recap. But that's sort of where an element of depth is introduced. Because before that, you've just got Cloud, who's this very taciturn mercenary and seems just out of it and not into this at all. And Barrett, who's just totally at 11, very angry, like you said, just going on and on. He's like giving speeches to nobody in the elevator and stuff. And you're Mm -hmm. like, what is the deal with this guy? (laughs) And because they've stretched everything out compared to the original game, you're in that kind of period of the game a lot longer. And so you you kind of just have to be there where I do think that over the course of the game, Barrett and Cloud's relationship is really nice. The way that they come to like each other, the way that their like call outs at the end of fights change and Cloud's like, you know, we make a pretty good team. And Barrett's like, yeah, we do, don't we? And they're kind of like becoming friends when they really didn't like each other. Like it's mm-hmm. kind of elementary stuff, mm-hmm. but it's nice the way that it works. And also, yeah, I, I do think that Barrett's performance is interesting. The animation and motion capture of him is great. And there are so many, he carries a lot of the emotion of a lot of the scenes really um, mm-hmm. on his face and just in his body language and he's so he also has this little girl who's totally this like emotional manipulation Marlene. device throughout the game yeah, yeah and <laughs> that's literally yeah that's her job Marlene the I emotional know. MacGuffin um, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, so so just moving through so they blow up the reactor um, they wind up splitting ways as they try to escape Cloud as Cloud you wind up going through the streets of Midgar you run into Aerith um, for the first time the flower girl you see the spirits surrounding her that we can get to a little bit later, but well, let's, let's, let's talk about it now. Let's okay. let's talk about this. Like, so we're we're not going to spoil the like end of Final Fantasy VII, but we should talk about like these same events in Final Fantasy VII because I think it's important to know that there are significant deviations from yeah. the very beginning from Final Fantasy because VII. a lot of people don't know that <laughs> like straight right. up if this is the first Final Fantasy VII version of it that they're playing, they don't know that right. these ghosts aren't there in the original game and that they're just a part of remake. Right. And this is the first time in the game. So you come upon Aerith. She is like surrounded by these weird phantoms. And mm-hmm. there's this whole sequence that just seems out of a different game. Like yeah. if you've if you've played Final Fantasy VII at all, you're like, okay, I maybe I don't remember this game from 1997, but right. I don't think this happened, this fight scene in the road with Aerith. And that at least, I think that the way, the many ways that this game changes Final Fantasy VII which mm-hmm. even if you don't know what happens in Final Fantasy VII, I think yeah. you know that that is true. And I'm yes. not going to, we're not spoiling the like big stuff in Final Fantasy VII, but I think that it's worth saying that this game is almost, even from the beginning, not a remake, right? Mm-hmm. Like the minute this stuff starts happening, that already is new. And of course it becomes like a meta layer of newness later on. But just the minute that starts happening, it stops feeling like you're playing a remake. But almost. so that part doesn't matter as much because all you kind of see these ghosts surrounding it. You're like, okay, that's weird. Like what's the deal with that? But it doesn't actually talk. About, what's way different and way bigger of a deal is that in the same sequence, you see Sephiroth and right. you, Cloud has this hallucination where he's walking through the fire and like see Sephiroth and Sephiroth threatens him and talks about killing his mom. And like, that stuff mm-hmm. is like totally new. That's way, yeah. way, way bigger changes than the Aris stuff, which the significance yeah, yeah, that's what of I, I mean, I'm, spirits, I'm talking about all of these changes. Like I'm, I'm saying there's significant yeah, yeah, changes yeah, yeah, from yeah. the very beginning. But, but 
Well, so so the significance of this of the spirits, I haven't had a chance to replay the game, but I really want to because the spirits, as we know, when we reach the end of the game of the remake, the spirits exist to they're called whispers of fate, and they exist to keep the storyline on track. Essentially, they exist to remake the game. They're like a metaphor right. for the developers or the fans or whatever who's who who really want to keep the game on they're track. They're like the script, like the existing script of the game. Yeah. And so it's interesting. I, I, I don't remember exactly what they were trying to change when they're surrounding Aerith. Maybe Aerith was going to do something and they were trying to keep her in place or something like I that. I think she's trying to leave and they're ensuring she meets Cloud. Yeah, it could in be that. that. Um, yes, it could, could very well be that. But now, looking back at it, every time they appear, they're like ensuring that things happen the way that they happen mm-hmm. in the remake. So that's another whole layer on top of this, which is pretty wild. Um, so yeah, so there's some extra fights in this scene. This all the, A lot of this stuff is new. Um, Cloud eventually gets can we talk the... about Sephiroth a little bit? Sure. Yes. He is in <laughs> yes. this game so much more. And it's like well, so wild much more to than me how much the more he's Midgar in the game. Sequence than than the, in the... Yeah, than the Midgar sequence in the original. And that's such a that's a huge change, but it's also it just makes the game very feel very different because it's very early on that you learn that Sephiroth is this well, first of all, that he killed Cloud's mom, which he just says to Cloud in this hallucination <laughs> right. scene. And so just right away, you're like, okay, cool. Like, we know that Cloud is this traumatized character, and we get to learn a little bit about why, which is an interesting choice, because in the original, it takes you a really long time to find out what Cloud's full deal is. But in this game, they just go ahead and tell you at least one major traumatic mm-hmm. event that happened to Cloud. And it's also the beginning of what is a potential pattern in this game where Cloud feels like he can't protect a female character. And I talked about this a little bit on like previous triple click episodes, but this is like a pretty defining part of who Cloud is and how he defines himself yeah. as a man and as a person is like, he needs to be able to protect Tifa. He gets into soldier because he wants to be able to protect people. His failure to protect his mother and his failure to protect his town is like how he's defining himself as a person. And like that being introduced so early, I I had some mixed feelings about it at first. I was kind of like, it's nice that the original takes so long to tell you all of those things, but... It's also rough to have you spend so much time with a character who's kind of a dick and not give you right. at least one reason why he's being such a dick. You know what right. I mean? Like, and you get you get this lostness from him from the very beginning. This sense of like he's scared behind yes. the sort of he's this total badass with a huge sword who can do all these cool moves. And yeah. Jesse Jesse kind of exists as the fandom in these right. early sequences. How she keeps being <laughs> like, "You're so cool. You're so hot. Holy shit! Uh-huh. Look at what you just did." And it's fun just like having a character openly admire. She yeah, definitely super... writes fan fiction for Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> yes. And so, and yet he is behind his eyes. You'll see it. And then, of course, in that first Sephiroth sequence, he's like terrified. And he's yeah. always getting these kind of pretty, like, pretty much just getting P- PTSD flashbacks. Like he just mm-hmm. gets hit and the, this kind of film grain goes over everything. And you see flashes of what, you know, sometimes are scenes of like the of FF7. And sometimes they're just like things from the future of this game. And he's mm-hmm. kind of seeing things from like outside of his realm of existence or just flashback memories. Um, and you get that he's messed up. And so making it a little bit more explicit, like giving even more information on that, it worked for me anyways. Mm-hmm. I thought that it made him a much more sympathetic and interesting character from the from the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Helps. Although there is something to be said about like having the shadow of Sephiroth or like the specter of Sephiroth hanging over you as you go through Midgar and not actually knowing. Because in the right. original game, you don't even find out anything. Sephiroth isn't even mentioned until you get to Shinra HQ. And then suddenly like uh, the 
present and is dead and there's a trail of blood and like it's this creepy scene and then everyone's like yeah. holy shit like who is this guy he's so powerful oh my god like what did he do and mm-hmm. it's 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 got a very different emotional effect um so yeah let's keep moving through the plot so um you wind up you swing into the train there's like this cool moment i always enjoyed that moment where like everyone thinks cloud is dead and they're like no he couldn't be and then he swings in and he's like hey guys um they get to <laughs> the sector seven slums which is like the hq of uh avalanche they work out of this bar named seventh heaven that tifa runs you meet tifa mm-hmm. tifa's badass who wears ridiculous clothing um tifa, and cloud's childhood friend and, and that's Ch- cloud's childhood yes. friend tifa and cloud have some nice moments um their cloud has an apartment can i can i throw out there this is the first time they do something that they really like to do in this game which is these lingering first person like conversations where when you first meet tifa who i just i'm gonna say like she's not just ridiculously dressed like she's like absurd looking like she's like one of the most ridiculously good looking characters in the video game i mean everybody in this game is but it's like you know dear lord it's absurd yeah it's absurd and then the way that they introduce her is this first person camera and she's looking right into your eyes and Mm. she's like hello it's me the most realistic rendition of tifa you've ever seen and kirk fell in love then and there and it's like it's a character how can you not (laughs) sure and it's a character that you know like people have been in love with tifa for decades and icon she's an icon and so they they really like to give you these moments and they do this with Aerith as well they do Mm -hmm. it at various points and it's where you're just having a conversation with you know this super high-res realistic looking version of a character that used to be all polygons and mm-hmm. it's fun it's i enjoy it like how yeah. they really lean into the it's very fan servicey but not in the creepy way at least it wasn't for me at all yeah. it was just like you're a fan of this and this is for you like here it is look at tifa oh, can yeah. you even believe it <laughs> i would say it also just it humanizes her and i would say this yeah. is true for Aerith too and that was something that i thought the original couldn't do because it just didn't have the time mm-hmm. or the capacity to animate their facial expressions and there weren't voice actors to do the like gentle mockery of cloud that both of these women do throughout the game that makes their feelings for cloud just more bearable to me because like also (laughs) cloud seems like more of a person in this game because you get so much more time with him and the sort of love triangle sensation of like oh tifa's interested in cloud and also Aerith's interested in cloud but they're very different people and like that works so much better for me in this version because you get to know them and their friendship is like really well, you know, we can get to that is, later, it's later but, in that game, but that helps it is, a lot. That's a crucial part of it is that also Tifa and Aerith become friends and we get to really see that kind of happen in a very deliberate way. So it's right. like they enjoy each other and this goofy dude mm-hmm. that they're with who they both kind yeah. of like, but they all are enjoying one another and yeah. it does, yeah, it worked for me. Totally. But there's such a huge difference between Aerith like saying he he in the original game, which you can like interpret so many ways in which <laughs> yeah. I found deeply irritating. Whereas this version of her, she gets to like laugh gently and just seem like mm-hmm. a normal person like a human? instantly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because of yeah, that. Yeah, I think a lot of it was in the original Japanese script and it was just lost in translation, right. unfortunately. Um, but it's also just a lack of time, you know? Like, they can just flesh it out more and also write the characters how they want to write them. And I happen mm-hmm. to like how they did it. So Tifa and Cloud go around the slums. This is when you start doing some of the side quests. Tifa brings up this thing that she talks about, like, how you need to build cl- build reputation in Cloud, and then that's never brought up again. So let's forget <laughs> about it. Um, I kinda, I don't know. I don't totally agree with that. I think that, like, the fact that as you do all of those side quests... Well, it, makes, it makes it seem like it's going to be a system or something, but it's not. It's right, just, like, go do some really. fetch <laughs> But it's, it worked for me narratively, I thought. I mean, I wasn't expecting it to be like a reputation system. Thank God there wasn't a friggin' rep. This game doesn't need another system. Um, but I, I do yeah. think I think that it worked only because a lot of this game is concerned with sort of 
anchoring cloud. And to mm-hmm. me, I, that was like one of the most interesting things about it at various points in the story that we'll, we'll get to is like, what is going to tie cloud to the world? Like what is going to bring him back? Because he's really far gone at the beginning. And mm-hmm. we're given a lot, much like we, as we've already talked about, he's given a much clearer idea of that and why that is. And then there's just these, a bunch of steps throughout the course of the game ask this question of like, is this what's going to like, they're reeling him in slowly back to earth until we can finally start to get down to find out what's really going on with him. What his history is with Sephiroth. What's going, what the, what the deal is with this kid. Yeah. What's the deal those, with cloud? <laughs> what's the deal with cloud? That'll be our next, That's our next episode. what the name of this episode really is now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that it kind of works for me. And then they'll reference that throughout the game. There are a lot of times you'll hear over her dialogue, like, Oh, that's that Merc. Oh, that mercenary mm-hmm. who like did all the stuff. And it just, you know, it's a way of contextualizing a bunch of busy work side quests that aren't that fun but it does mm-hmm. it did kind of work for me narratively so okay so um then you guys cloud goes to sleep um the next chapter is entirely inventive for the remake and that is a chapter in which you take a bike ride to jesse's house and then you so uh kind of a, like creep in and steal something and it's and, gone home for um, a second yeah, yeah man it is like the most <laughs> ornately rendered house with all these props and like details that must have spent must have cost a lot of time and money yeah <laughs> You find out Jessie was an aspiring actress and that yes. she gave it all up to become yes. a, a terrorist with Avalanche, which is cool. It's cool to learn about Jessie. It made me wonder if yeah. they uh, they intended to do more but ran out of time because it, did, it seems strange that they would create that much detail for just like something you see for 30 seconds and then go. Away. I mean, it seems strange, but it's the whole game, man. Like the whole game is like, why is there so much detail in this one scene? A lot of the game does feel that way. That is true. Um, they put yeah. in, yeah. So Jessie, they built her character up a little more, gave her a little more personality, gave her a depth dad that um was was fucked over by right. shinra and is put in a coma because of shinra stuff um, which i don't think is in the original either like yes. i don't think you ever know jesse's motivations but here they've given them to you and they also no, you don't know jesse isn't even in character in the original she's just kind of a, a name and a, a few do- lines of well dialogue. she's there <laughs> right so minor like uh, my, yeah. i mean jesse and biggs and wedge are all these kind of major characters that i that i really like yeah, yeah. Now I, like well, yeah I really like them well it's a combination well. of like good writing and acting and yeah mm-hmm. good characters so then you go on this mission and basically you have to go and fight a bunch of Shinra dudes in like this abandoned reactor thing. And then you fight Roche, who is this kind of pointless anime character that they introduced who loves yeah, his bike. Yeah, new guy. Uh, I guess <laughs> no, someone, I love that someone at Square was just like, I want a character who gets really horny for his bike. And so they brought in Roche. <laughs> and Cloud. Um, Come on. This yeah. is where they start introducing the homoeroticism. No, just kidding. That's they introduce it with Sephiroth. <laughs> Maddie, Maddie, you played a different game in your head than the rest of us. And it was great. Great, and I would like you to also consider playing it when you replay Final Fantasy VII Remake because it's a more fun version of the game. Um, so yeah, so then they get back and they parachute off of the top of Sector uh, of, of Sector Seven, which is amazing. Yep. Like this incredible parachuting scene. By the way, one of the cool mm-hmm. things about this whole chapter is that it's like really the first look we get at the the bourgeoisie bourgeoisie of uh, yeah. of, of Midgar, the middle class, the middle class, yeah. the upper middle class, literally the upper crust of Midgar, and you kind of see you that know, they live this like idyllic suburban in existence on top of the slums. I guess we see that. Do you do we really see that? I wanted more of that. I didn't feel like yeah. we got enough. Yeah, it would have been cool to see more for sure. But you you see like the streets and you see these suburban streets. Sure. Um, so anyway, so then you get back to um, Sector 7 slums and then you go off on your next mission with Barrett and Tifa to go blow up the Sector 5 reactor. So this mm-hmm. sequence is up until now this game has been very controlled in the way that combat is playing out and I you don't have a three-person party until now. Mm-hmm. You're playing in various mm-hmm. versions of you, and then you and Tifa, or it's you and Barrett at the beginning, and then it's just you at various points. You is Cloud here. 
<laughs> you is cloud. Yes, of course. I mean, we are all cloud, aren't we? Um, right. And I think I was expecting this game at some point to give me a choice of like party members and it never does. You never get to choose your party. And there are times even where you have a party member who isn't controllable by you. Like they really control how everything works. It's much mm-hmm. more controlled than I thought, which makes me curious about the follow-up and whether that's finally going to get into like choosing your party makeup, which is such a big part of the original game. Well, mm-hmm. so in the original game, you don't actually get to choose your party until afterwards. So you get this device called the PHS, um, which is referenced in those terminals in the in the Hojo mm, dungeon. Okay. But you get that after you leave Midgar. So I think that's why. I think in later installments. Ah, so it isn't until after Midgar in the original as well. I couldn't remember the yes. particulars there. Yep, 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 yep. that's uh, that how makes it works. Sense. Got it. Um, okay, so yeah, you get to Sector 5. This is where like the padding really starts, and this dungeon takes way longer than it needs to. It's like a whole, you go. You have to go through the train tunnel because your train gets caught and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's tons and tons of like filler stuff. And if you're um, me, you get lost. <laughs> there's something I like in this mission where the, the sequence where you're underneath the plate, you're kind of going through the undercarriage of the plate on these kind of catwalks. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of kind of generic looking environments in this game, I will say. Like a lot yeah. of tunnels it's and catwalks. That's why it's so easy and, to get lost because you start oh being like, God. wasn't I just so here? Mm-hmm. But it's a whole new area? Yeah. <laughs> I do like, there's a weird thing that I don't know if this was on purpose or like why they did this, but did you notice that when you're walking around in those catwalks and you look down on Midgar, it's like a kind of cruddy looking stretched out like 2D texture yeah. that's just kind of made to look 3D. But to me, it really reminds me of the original game. Like yes. it looks so much like a PS1 texture. And there are a lot of times actually where that same texture will come back up. And each time I was like, I like this. They could have probably <laughs> made this look super like, you know, done whatever the thing is they do to skyboxes. But they were now. busy making Tifa's face look that good. So right, they, weren't, right. they weren't focused on I that. bet you're right. Like I bet all of the the computing yeah. power is going towards the hair and the faces and all those polygons. Yeah, I, I really oh, wonder. Yeah. Her little pony um, but I like it anyways. It's a, If it is a shortcut that they took, it's one that I like. And if yeah. they did it on purpose as a way of just being like, this kind of is just going to have a similar look. I like that too. I, I, did mm-hmm. I think that. we'll find out for sure when the PC version comes out. Um, <laughs> so anyway, so you get to the uh, Sector 5 and you have to, you, you get to the bottom there and you set the bomb to go off and then you have to fight through a dungeon like the Airbuster dungeon, which is kind of a drag and just takes forever and it's super repetitive where you're like, to, like slowly sabotaging the Airbuster, but it doesn't really matter. Um, and you're way up to fight him so i read your tips mm-hmm. jason Did you thank you them? for those and so i knew not to do the uh what's it called the m items yeah those are a waste yeah the m items They're just useless items um yeah pointless so yeah so you blow up the airbuster and then all goes the way that it happens in the original which is that cloud falls off the catwalk and you think he's gonna fall to his death but nope he lands smack in the middle of the church where Aerith plants flowers um mm-hmm. and Aerith is like oh sup and he's like hey sup and then you <laughs> fight reno which didn't happen in yes. the original. In the original game, you just no. kind of ran away. He from does Reno. show up though, but yes. you, you, you and Aerith another, run away. Another very hot character, yes. Reno. Oh yes, um, exceptionally Classic. good-looking young man. <laughs> very good duel. Very good duel against Reno, and then you fight your way up through to escape. You fight your way to the rooftops of the Sector Five slums, and the whispers appear, and they kind of force you to go because it seems like Aerith wants to go a different direction, and Cloud wants to. Mm-hmm. And the whispers are like, "Nope, you can only go the way that the original game went." So I'll say it this point that it was um clear to me what was going on like partly that i knew there was stuff at the ending of this game that was surprising and also just because the whispers were just such a new thing and they were Mm -hmm. so evidently keeping things on a certain path and like interceding when things were about to dramatically change i was like okay i i pretty much get what's going on here so Mm -hmm. 
the rest of the game is kind of just this process of being like, okay, are we going to, how are we going to get there and how far oh, are they going to go? That's a fun way. Which yeah. was fun. I want to say I really liked this section. I like when Cloud meets Aerith because it's such an important relationship. She's such an important character for all kinds of reasons. She's like a major figure in just like video game character. Also, yeah. In the plot of this game. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) She's like the most important character in the plot, but also just in like the culture. Like she just is such a major character. And I never really bought her relationship with Cloud. Me either. And this gets back to the thing I was saying before to like how I think this game does a good job of like slowly bringing Cloud in like reeling him in from this place he's lost out in the fog mm-hmm. and they kind of reel him back to shore and I think that the stuff with Aerith is really key to that so is the stuff with Tifa obviously his childhood friend he has all this history with her when we first meet right, her right and she knew him before he was traumatized so exactly. she has a different way of anchoring him whereas Aerith is more like meeting this guy and being like what is this guy's friggin' deal like why is he like this which is super true and it goes the other way too so with Cloud I get the sense there's so much expectation on him and he doesn't even really know who he is anymore anymore and mm-hmm. he's all messed up and when he's hanging out with Tifa he so doesn't want to talk to her he's like a, right. she's really reaching out to him and she's saying you know you know I I remember you remember this remember this thing you said like are you still mm-hmm. the person that you want to be will you help me like can you can you say that you'll help me and he's like yeah but also Jesus this is a lot and like I'm a failure and I've failed in ways I don't right. want to admit to you fully and like right. the more the more I agree to with Tifa the more she's going to figure out that I'm a, a fraud right because yeah. she knows me so well and yeah. I, a thing I really got from these scenes with Aerith is that for the first time I understood why Cloud would be drawn to Aerith and it's because she doesn't know him and she's just this totally <laughs> new person and she's just like hey man who are you what's your deal and a lot of their early interaction interactions are her just kind of saying oh yeah you're so quiet you're such a strong guy whatever you're my bodyguard now we're gonna roll together and she's Mm -hmm. so like easygoing and she knows everybody and she's this really just like kind of easy to hang out with person that she shows him kind of for the first time what it would be like to To just normal yeah be normal to just not have to have also she has her own traumas which are hinted at as well where like she's clearly got a lot of shit going on that she doesn't want to tell cloud but that's kind of okay with cloud because he's like same so they both get to just have a weird horrible secret and like sort of allude to it in each other's case and like have that be something that draws them together even as they both don't want to reveal to one another what their full deal is and i think that helps their relationship a lot cloud doesn't know his full deal um but well that's true but he still doesn't want to talk about Sephiroth and like talk about his yeah, traumas with anybody the, you know the broader point stands it's that both of these characters are new to one another and mm-hmm. he is yeah. for the first time in a long time they don't have any she doesn't have any expectations for him he's not working for her like not really it's kind of the bodyguard <laughs> thing is kind of a joke like they're not she didn't hire him for like the like Barrett did he's not an old she's not an old childhood friend like Tifa was and I liked that a lot I thought that dynamic really worked oh yeah me. well so the other key part of this is that there's a certain point I don't remember exactly when it happens but but uh, Aerith mentions that her boyfriend, she used to date her first boyfriend, was yes. in Soldier. And was uh, in Soldier. Cloud, Cloud asks who he was. And when she says it, there's this great moment where it's just like the zap of a flashback and you don't hear the name because the name triggers something in Cloud. And the name that she mouths is Zach. And we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, but yeah, so so after this, <laughs> this stuff in the church, you go out on the rooftops of Aerith. And this is probably my favorite sequence in the game, both because of the, the visuals and the way that like it looks as you're climbing these rooftops and seeing like the, the depth and breadth of Midgar, but also the the banter between the two of them is just incredible stuff um, for many of the reasons that you brought up, Kirk. Um, so yeah, so they um, get 
get to Aerith's house and they meet Aerith's uh, mom, which you find out later is more of a foster mom. Surrogate mom. Elmira. Man, this Um, sequence wrecked me, I guess for reasons that we'll have to talk about after we talk about spoilers, but I actually really loved this. I loved how it looked. I loved the music during this sequence. It's a version of Aerith's theme. It's so beautiful. Which sequence are you talking about? The rooftop? No, when you're at her house, when you've mm-hmm. when you've gone to her house and you're meeting yeah. um, her mom, and just all yeah. of that, like when you first see it for the first time, it's this beautiful green space in Midgar, and you just, everything has been so brown and trashy. Yeah, this, yes. and the music that's playing and is then so there's gorgeous. All these flowers, and it's just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 you yeah, just yeah. get a feeling that she lived here, and this is her space. And mm-hmm. I thought, I think, I thought this whole sequence was really, really nice. Yeah, there's a lot more because they turned Sector 5 slums into like a, this living, fleshed out town and added like mm-hmm. an orphanage. And so you see a lot mm-hmm. more of like Aris. People know Aris. And as you're walking by, they're like, oh, Aris is back. Aris is back. And like it, she has a relationship with the orphanage owners. And it's very clear that she goes around and helps people all the time. Um, so right. it's cool stuff to see. Um, so yeah, so Elmira, her surrogate mom or foster mom, says, hey, uh, do whatever you're doing, get the fuck out of here and leave my, my daughter out of this. And that's so that's yeah. basically what she to, says sneak off yeah. in the middle of the night and of course right. as anyone who's played the which original which is just as annoying goes, here as it was in the original um, no it's actually easier here than it was in the original I would say yeah I think it kind of is no the best thing is this sequence you have to this is a stealth sequence and if you fail it it's, you just have to start over and it's I amazing I have a it video is. that I almost posted this video of well, this you where you run into objects and stuff in this one and it's yes. hilarious yeah no yeah. I know and it starts you out it's like in the hallway you're like not really prepared for this you've just done a bunch of story heavy stuff with almost no gameplay mm-hmm. and then one of those little tutorials pops up and it's like okay so in this sequence you're gonna have to sneak out and um, so be careful and then <laughs> you can't even see in front of you and there's like a I fucking know. bucket like right in front <laughs> of cloud kick over pretty yeah, much guaranteed so you press forward and you definitely kick it over and then Aerith comes out of room like what's going on and then it just you have to wait forever while it restarts I thought that it cracked me up I was like what no. the fuck like I was like what's <laughs> at least given me a chance one of the the hallmarks of Final Fantasy what's the deal with Final Fantasy is like these hand scripted (laughs) moments that are just like created as Mm -hmm. these one off things it does feel like they're fucking with you when they make that happen Um, so yeah so and then you sneak out and of course you run into Aerith and Aerith is like hey I'll help you you get home sneaking out yeah which is a great character moment for her even in the original where like she just shows up and she's like you really thought that was gonna work I'm coming with you you (laughs) dumbass it's great Um, and then you get to um, the Sector 7 slot before before you decide to go in, you run into Tifa, who is on a carriage going into the wall market, and you run Which up. Which is like an absurd coincidence, by the way, that it you is. run into her. It's so Star Wars-y. <laughs> it is. Um, this is a very strange change, because in the original, you just kind of see her go by, and you two talk to each other, and you're like, oh my god, she was kidnapped or something. And it's not until later mm-hmm. that you found out she like intentionally let herself get into that situation. But in this one, right. you actually run up to her in the carriage, which is weird, because how did the person driving the carriage not like yeah. turn around and see this yeah like how did you even get up there in time it's and like strange. how is the guy driving the carriage not hearing Tifa be like okay so I'm here undercover right <laughs> like, very strange very it. strange um, but yeah Tifa explains really that she's going after Don Corneo and she runs off and then you guys get to Wall Market which is um, the 
hedonistic playground of Midgar. So Wall Market is the thing that has probably changed most from the original game to now. Everything in Wall Market is very, very different, including the, the cat is the same. There's that cat in front and of the, the music. One, the one story <laughs> and that's what's important. The, the doll, the cat like statue that you're talking about is the same. Um, there's new characters like Chocobo Sam and Miss, mm-hmm. Mrs. M and whatever. Love Chocobo and, Sam. Great uh, voice. Chocobo it's Sam. All, so <laughs> one of the things that's most notably different is that in the original, you get there, you go to um, Don Corneo's mansion and, and it is they the bodyguards at the front of the mansion tell you you won't be able to get in if you're not a woman. And so Aerith mm-hmm. um, and Cloud go to a dress shop and you're getting a dress for Aerith to like similar to the remake but um right away it's the plot line comes up that cloud should get a dress for himself and dress up as a woman in order to get in yeah Aerith suggested as soon as they talk to the bodyguards um, by so, the way like yeah. she immediately turns away and she's like cool cool there's only one way to get past this cloud you're gonna need to wear a dress and there's like one sentence of cloud being like what and then he's just like you're right that's the only way and it's like and, and there's a lot of strangeness. There's a lot of implication that like other people are cross-dressing too, including the guys mm-hmm. at the gym. And you go on this whole like side quest line where you can go get accessories for your dress. You can go get uh, some makeup. You can go and get makeup. Whatever. Yeah, um, it's and very transphobic and homophobic in the original iteration as well. It's pretty it gross. Is, it is. Yeah. So all of that stuff was kind of morphed and turned into a side quest that you do with Johnny, where you run around town and like kind of follow the same motions as the the side quest chain in the original, except you're not actually getting stuff for your dress or whatever. And the dress stuff is changed entirely. So basically Mm -hmm. what happens is you go and you do side quests for either Chocobo Sam or Mrs. M um, in order to get yourself a new dress. And this is where the story kind of branches because you can, based on your decisions, you can wind up with one one or the other of the two characters being your kind of side quest giver. Um, But yeah, Mm -hmm. you go do a bunch of side quests. um, You do a whole bunch of crazy things. Then you go fight in a coliseum for a while and fight yeah. Hellhouse, who was one of my favorite moments in the game was knowing that Hellhouse is like a random encounter in the original and yes. seeing what they would do with like this ridiculous house looking thing and hearing them in the Coliseum being like, and now Hellhouse, I like cracked up sitting in my couch. Oh man, it was so good. What it's so, this game, I mean the original game totally toes this weird line between being this steampunk corporate you know, world where you're fighting against Political soldiers. Political commentary, yeah. Yeah, to then suddenly you're fighting against like weird looking like propeller things and then right you're fighting a house that belches lava at you and that the game doesn't care because it's like a ps1 game and it just all kind of holds together because it doesn't hold together like it just works yeah where in this game it's it still works like there there are even times where like it's way later where you're you're going through like shinra and you see they're like here are our research specimens that you've been fighting and you see like alongside the robots are those weird propeller like do a like alien looking things and like these other aliens that are or monsters that are you know, enemies from the original game that have been up for this game, but they're somehow explained away. But Hellhouse, I love that sequence. They're just like, and now, like, our reigning champion of fucking huge the house. It's never, like, explained. <laughs> it's never explained no. why that exists or how it exists. And or because anything. it's the reigning no. champion. Don't um, worry about right. it. It's a house, man. It's from hell. And it's a great fight. It's like this fight where you have to use spells that like to fight mm-hmm. its weaknesses. And yeah. you gotta really get to know Aerith's healing spells in that one, yeah. if you're yeah. me anyway. Yeah, that was a um, tough fight. I think I lost that. 
at least once. So at the mm-hmm. end of all these side quests, you wind up going to the Honeybee Inn after all. And this is where people who have played the original are probably like, oh, what's going to happen here? How are they going to do mm-hmm. this? And it turns out to be this like totally wholesome like um, dance sequence where you are turned by this guy who runs the Honeybee Inn who just like Andrea turns you Rodeo? into a woman. Is yeah, Andrea Rodana. Yeah. And he turns you into a woman and he's just like, like he makes this comment about gender fluid, gender being fluid. And it's just totally it's like, like trans positive in a way that I have never seen in a in a Japanese video game. There's that, but also it, even before that, Cloud has to do the dance sequence when he's just in like normal Cloud attire, and even that is like the cutest thing I've ever seen, and yes. maybe the cutest thing in the entire game is just like or, Cloud or in the dancing. World. I mean, maybe the cutest thing in the world is so adorable because I think because just as a character, he's so buttoned up and he's so traumatized and so not in touch with his feelings or sense of self at all and that's obviously just like a core problem that he's having like he does not know who he is cloud does not know what person he is and that's who he is so like this scene really hit me differently this time around because i was like like the idea of cloud exploring a different identity like even in just sort of this playful way for the sake of a mission and being like who am i like what is manhood what is like my sense of self currently it just feels super different in the larger context of his story and his like way cooler honestly than it is in the original where it's just like a gag line where it's like well cloud is gonna wear a dress for this part of the game mm-hmm. because like i don't know but in yeah. this version like you get to see cloud like work through all those things actually dance and like express more emotions than we've really seen him express through dancing which is like why would that happen but then also to have this like queer positive narrative where cloud is like getting in touch with himself is just like a cool layer to have for a character who's dealing with some serious shit you know yeah i mean this is my favorite part of the entire game. Like <laughs> I rolls. loved this sequence. <laughs> the the dancing sequence specifically, like when he goes on stage and dances, there's really some interesting stuff. The part where you walk through Wall Market dressed mm-hmm. looking beautiful in this yeah. like amazing dress looking Wearing great and all these people are remarking on how gorgeous you are and oh look at her and it's it's yeah. really like putting you in this experience and in, in Cloud's um, shoes. If you go up to what's his name Chadley the Shinra intern or uh-huh. whatever when you're wearing the dress he like has some line where he's like I don't even know how to express what I'm feeling in this moment. It's like uh, adorable like everybody yeah. has like these certain lines they say to you if you're like wearing Cloud <laughs> in a beautiful dress it's That's great. So, so I like that but <laughs> I love this dance minigame. I mean, it kills me for the reasons you say, Maddie, that you're watching Cloud do dance moves really well, like amazingly put together. Why would he be good at it? But sure. But sure. But also he's not leading like um, Andrea Rodeo is leading. And so he's kind of, he seems a little bit like taken aback at times by like what's even happening, but it's so good. The music kills like during this entire sequence. It keeps going. It's like really involved. There's like four different songs. It really lasts a long time, yeah. There are so many things that I like about it. One of the man, I could go on and on and on about this section, but like the dance, like the gameplay is a little bit like the way that sometimes it obscures the prompt you're supposed to hit. Mm-hmm. But then the better you're doing, it keeps cutting out to Aerith in the audience, and yes. she's just loving it, and she keeps being like, "Oh my god, you're killing it!" Or if you mess up, she kind of laughs nervously, like if you're yes. not doing that well, like it changes uh-huh. on, based on how you're doing. Yes. And just the visuals of it, the choreography, this this moment, I was like laughing my ass off. And it's the thing that I love so much about this game is these sequences where they didn't just 
add something extra or like reimagine something from the original. They went so overboard. Like someone mm-hmm. had a grand vision for this. Someone was like, this sequence is going to be the most flat out thing I can put together and we're going to make this whole thing like blow up in people's faces for like 10 minutes and yeah. they're not even going to believe how awesome it is. And the whole time I was just sitting there being like, this rules. Like the music was just going and I was like dancing and playing it. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. so yeah, let's let's get through um, a couple more things. So you go, you wind the up game is peak to... though. That's all downhelp from yeah. me. That was the best. <laughs> it's it's terrible best. after this. No, yeah. You get it's to Duncanero. Duncanero tells you Aerith and Tifa his evil plan or Shinra's evil plan, which is to blow up Sector mm-hmm. Seven and knock down the plate so it crushes everybody and then blame Avalanche. Yeah. Um, then comes the <laughs> worst part of the game, which is just padding on padding on padding. You get to you fall yeah. into the sewers, you fight a boss, the sewers take forever. Then you get up to the train graveyard. <sighs> There's nothing takes to even forever. say about any of these um, quests. <laughs> it just all takes forever, and it's in the original game. It's over in like two minutes, and in a this second? it's over in two hours. You know, the one thing that this has going for it is this is where they. Have Established Tifa and Aerith's friendship is like right. during the sequence. That's there true. are these side cutscenes where they'll talk, they'll help each other out, and that mm-hmm. is nice. They could have done it somewhere else. Yeah. They didn't need right. to make us go through the sewers and the. But that is that's a good yeah. point. And they still keep little things in there, like when they all fall at one point in the sewers. Not at the very beginning, like in the original, but at a totally different moment. Cloud still has mm-hmm. to pick which of them he's going to yes. wake up first, and you know that's going to add relationship points because this is a dating. Sim. Who did you? Who did you both pick? I went with Aerith because I'm just playing. Mm. I'm playing it super traditional, but also I don't even know if it matters. Because it does matter. I think we'll it get does. To it. it does matter. No, there is. There is. There, there's a thing. Yeah, there's a couple little branches. Uh, we'll get to it in a, in a, in a little bit. But um, Jason, who, wait, Jason, who did you wake up? Who did you wake um, up? I don't even remember. I think Aerith. Well, who are you picking? Who were you trying to you pick? You don't remember. I don't believe you. I wasn't trying to pick either of them because I didn't think it mattered. But um, well, but, Kirk, who did you pick? Tifa, obviously. Tifa all okay. the way. I think I went with Aerith. But anyway, so... I just want to be Tifa. I don't need to date. <laughs> fair her. enough. Fair enough. So you finally get to the pillar where uh, the Turks are going to blow up the, the pillar itself and uh, have the mm-hmm. plate come crashing down. Then there's this cool thing that was totally invented for this where you actually switch to Aerith's perspective and you play as her yeah. rescuing Marlene mm-hmm. from Seventh Heaven, which is really, really good. Yeah, which good. I loved. A lot of good stuff in there. Yeah. And you get to uh, meet Sang, who is the leader of the Turks, Um character mm-hmm. um so you guys fight your way up the pillar um r.i.p jesse and biggs i guess wedge survives in i the, think this time not around. to skate over it too much i think this whole sequence is extremely well done it's like this incredible it, it is yeah. but it's there's something there's something lost in that you haven't actually seen jesse and biggs in hours and hours and i think that kind of takes away a little bit of the emotional impact mm-hmm. from losing them because it's kind of like oh yeah those characters were fleshed out a little bit but wait i haven't seen them in so long I mean, I didn't feel that way. I still cried when the plate fell, and I was like, this is so much more moving. And then playing the original version, it goes by so freaking quickly that it almost doesn't feel like as big of a moment as it should feel. And in this version, it's like they drag it out, and there were some moments where I was like, this is almost borderline like emotionally manipulative in terms of like how much they're bringing the pain with the plate falling and the extent to which it can't be stopped. But, you know, I cried anyway. I loved it. And I was like, this Mm -hmm. is like really showing you how horrific this is and how many people are going to die and like all the destruction that's happening and also it's all going to be blamed on Avalanche but it like lets you really hate Shinra and the original it just goes by so much faster that it just doesn't really feel the same yeah I was talking about specifically Jesse and Biggs those characters deaths Um, yeah 
I mean, I still was really sad about it. Yeah, it's sad, but I, yeah. it does lack, I think, an impact, especially for people who who haven't played the original. But anyway, so yeah, so you get to the top, and mm-hmm. it's all really well done. You fight Reno and Rude. They blow up the tower. Yep. They're kind of like these these reluctant villains who are like, do we really have to do this? But you know what? I'm going to do it anyway because it's my job, and mm-hmm. it's it's interesting. It's an interesting approach. And if we don't do it, somebody else will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Unconvinced Turks, by the way. Not a convincing <laughs> rationale for the the atrocities well, that you're committing bad no, guys. Not at all for, <laughs> no. for committing genocide on a bunch of poor people um so tifa cloud and and barrett make it out uh before the sector before the plate falls but the plate does fall and um Aerith is kidnapped by shinra and presumably taken right. to shinra hq um so then lots of sad stuff happens there's some diversions eventually you wind up getting back to Aerith's house to go find marlene because Aerith is supposedly taken marlene there and um, it turns out Marlene is there and then you find out Aerith's backstory you find out she's the last Setra the last ancient Um, and then so Maddie I don't know if you know this but so when you're asleep at Aerith's house you have this dream sequence and then you will either see Aerith Tifa or I forget if there's someone else maybe Jesse so uh, the dream sequence is based on the choices you make so that's what I was talking about earlier I got Aerith's also yeah I had no idea Mm -hmm. I got Aerith's also and she was like don't fall in love with me and I was like okay I'll try Um, so yeah so um, lots of backstory and then there's some other stuff that happens a whole unnecessary necessary diversion where you have to like go back into the sewers and fight uh the abzu boss again and like run into don carneo again for leslie and it it, tries to like make you care about this (laughs) random ass dude leslie and his like backstory and it's just like what is people out there who like him and i am not one of them i was like this doesn't need to be in the game it reminded me so much of final fantasy 15 which i guess i won't be specific but there's like a time where this character (laughs) dies in final fantasy 15 there's this time in that game where this guy dies and everyone acts like it matters and it's like that guy i can't believe he died oh we're so sad and that's our motivation to go take it to the bad guy and I was like who yeah and it felt this felt that way to me I was like who the f- is this guy like what why am I doing I was this? just like, like annoyed at him and then he like yeah. takes out the necklace and he's like it's because my girlfriend left right, me and she's right, dead and I was right. like dude what what <laughs> what is your deal man I yeah. don't I don't even want to talk uh, to you anymore uh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah 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 it, but I anyway so then <laughs> then you finally and then you can do a bunch more side quests if you want um, some of them are I, did I guess okay yeah I did all of them too you have to like unlock chocobo routes and like there's there's yep. a whole bunch of shit find some treasure I did them mm-hmm. all too I don't know if any of them are really worth it they don't <laughs> But anyway, so then finally, 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 um, Cloud and Barrett and Tifa get to go climb up the tower and go to Shinra HQ. And then there's mm-hmm. super long sequence where you're climbing up the tower, a lot of battles, a lot of vistas, a lot of really cool, like, just perspective shots, amazing looking uh, uh, scenes of, of uh, where you see all of Midgar, which is pretty cool. But again, it True. transforms what was like two seconds in the original game to like a two <laughs> hour like, extravaganza. Yeah. So you climb the tower, you climb the tower, you see all these beautiful sights and sounds and Aerith and Tifa mm-hmm. and, or sorry, Tifa and Barrett and Cloud have a lot of um, fun little bonding moments on the way and they're all kind of nervous because it's like, what are we going to find when we get there? And then you get yeah. up there and almost immediately things are different than the original where the original you kind of bust into Shinra HQ right away. Here you start off in a parking garage um, and eventually you fight your way back up um, and then you can decide just like you can in the original whether to climb the 59 flights of stairs or take the elevator. Um, yep. I chose to take the elevator. Did you guys, did either of you guys do the stairs? I took the stairs. I took oh, the wow. stairs. I took the what elevator. Did you, what? The stairs is so great. I, you guys I've... don't even know. So like, it. okay, at first you can run up the 
stairs, like you can use the run button, but like as time goes on, it stops letting you do that and you have to just <laughs> That's walk. So funny. And like there's still all of the dialogue where everybody's Yes, you run out of breath and like no matter what you do, you have to just walk. And there are points where the game just like forces you to stop and you're like, I can't go anymore. And like everyone's fighting just like they are in the original game. They're all making like little side comments at each other. Mm-hmm, and they like keep some of the same lines where Barrett is like talking to the stairs and Tifa makes fun of him for it and I don't know it's great in the original game I think she calls him a retard is that that's not in the in that the is not in there anymore okay. they yeah. <laughs> have taken that out <laughs> yay it's not 1997 anymore here's a fun little observation that probably only I noticed or only like a, f- a dozen hardcore fans noticed in the original game the elevator floors it, so the ele- you go in the elevator and it randomly stops at floors and then you fight battles um, they're mm-hmm. all random numbers it'll be like 13 23 27 34 whatever in the remake it's all just multiples of 10 so it's like 10 20 30 40 50 it's it's strange it's different um in in the remake also they added some fun stuff like you you have this fun encounter where like this random dude is on the phone and walks in and then is just like talking on the phone doesn't even notice the three of you and then walks out (laughs) Um, so the elevator is actually pretty fun in this one too but anyway so yeah Mm -hmm. then you get to shinner hq and there's a lot of cool very different stuff in this like a virtual uh, museum of like shinra history and like a virtual tour of like the promised land that they want to create it's a lot of cool stuff in there i liked everything about shinra hq even tifa walking around on the ceiling and like trying to get that key card you like that no yeah i mean well i liked that sequence as part of everything for the because it wasn't a combat sequence like i just liked that it was this dumb like it was dumb right it's just a puzzle (laughs) sequence that is completely linear and requires no thought and it's kind of the well it's not the only time you control tifa i guess but i was like really is this gonna be the only time we control tifa is to just like jump on a thing and then like land in the thing and like whatever because she's the lightest of the three like climb a bunch of ladders that was so stupid (laughs) but what i liked about that is more just like a broader thing with this whole section is that there's so much different stuff going on here and it's all very fun like it's all pretty silly each individual thing is just as silly as tifa climbing around on the ceiling but it isn't just more go to a place and then there's some enemies and then you fight them and then you fight some variety enemies. yeah mm-hmm. yeah it adds a lot of variety and it's 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 just all new stuff like it's really it real it feels so fresh like you're getting toward the end of the game which feels exciting and it's like here's shinra here's here's what's new like you're, you're learning all this stuff about shinra like you said the interactive um, museum stuff is just amazing when you oh yeah when you go into and then that the biggest momentum killer comes when you run into the you fall into the drum the dungeon that takes forever yeah but before that when you do the like 3d like flashback to what the planet used to look like mm-hmm. and they're in this yeah, sort the, like, of virtual yeah. VR experience Super cool. that all of all three of you have to enter into it's amazing like that's maybe the most amazing looking thing in the whole game mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it looks like a movie i mean like whatever team did that spent a lot of money and time on it they're yeah, just these really good parts stuff. of that oh, sequence yeah. that are really incredible and just getting to see Midgar really blown out and like from mm-hmm. an aerial view, like it just really gives you a good sense of everything, yeah. which I guess this whole remake kind of does mm-hmm. in a way that the original game didn't that I really liked. It just it, it made me I'm going to go replay the original um, probably like after we finish recording me. this. Oh, yeah, I've <laughs> yeah. got it. I have it up on like the eShop for Switch. <laughs> That's what I got it on. And I just I'll, I'll have all this in my head as I do that just because it gives me such a better mental image of all of this, Same. which is yeah. such yep. a great service. Yep, yep, yep. I just got to the Golden Saucer in my playthrough of the original. Mm. Anyway, um, so yeah, so eventually you get to Aerith and Hojo and you see Genova and Genova is like a lot bigger in this. There's a lot of new stuff in this that is different from the original. Oh you yeah, way 13. more flashbacks from Cloud. You fight yeah. a uh, boss 
fight um, after meeting Red 13, just like you do in the original, same boss, but then you wind up at, in Hojo's lab and you fight through this entire massive dungeon that is like involves switching parties. It's basically the final dungeon of the game. It's amazing. It includes the, uh, <laughs> the toughest fight in the game, which is Tifa and Aerith fighting five bloodhounds, um, which is by far the most difficult <laughs> encounter that you have in the game. It's funny. I just beat that fight. I like I've, I had trouble with plenty of fights in this game, but I kept thinking back. I was like, what was the one that Jason said in his supposed was going to be really hard? And I never I never got to it. I kept just being I wonder like, if they patched the game. I didn't I wonder too. Yeah, either. It's definitely possible because a lot of people complain. But about I also it. had built it up so much in my head because people kept talking about how hard it was going to yeah. be. And so That's I was impossible. like armed to the teeth for that fight. Um, <laughs> this sequence, so this whole sequence is kind of a momentum killer, as you said. Though, again, it's yeah. another dungeon that does let us get to know Red 13. Right, which, which well, is nice. It's also the final dungeon. Like they, they felt like they needed to have a final dungeon. Yeah. That was that. It's such a video game thing of like you're in a test facility as a bad guy overlooks you and is like and now fight this yeah. slightly harder boss ha, yeah. ha, ha, ha. all part of my plan i'm like fuck but off. i will <laughs> say so so the final boss of this game that kind of sword like thing that goes around that like it's like a fish yeah yeah wait thing. oh it's called a swordipede can't <laughs> yeah, we cannot the neglect the incredible name that this thing has so that's another example of a regular enemy in the original getting turned into a boss mm-hmm. fight there are a bunch of those in this um so yeah so you, you once you get through all of that you actually you have to fight genova and that is another strange thing because you don't actually fight Genova until much later. Well, not much later, but a little bit later in the original. So you fight Genova. It's this fun, fun fight involving positioning and tentacles, but again, are totally not in the original game. Um, then there's a whole sequence where like President Shinra is like hanging off a rooftop and you rescue him. And then in the original game, well, by the Barrett way, does. Barrett, yeah, Barrett, Barrett, does. Him. Barrett decides to Especially. rescue him. And then like mm-hmm. there's some tension and he's thinking about shooting him. And then Sephiroth yeah. comes out and stabs him and then stabs Barrett. And then the whispers revive Barrett Which, because Barrett can't die. <laughs> yeah, that, at a certain point, we're going to have to just talk about the original game. Maybe this is the cutoff point. I I think maybe maybe we're there. I think maybe we're there. What do you well, think? Yeah. So in the original game, well, the, in the original game, Shinra section at least, what happens is you're all your party is kidnapped and you end up in jail, and then you wake yep. up and the doors are open and there's a trail of blood and it's this big mystery mm-hmm. and you go up the stairs and you find President uh, Shinra just dead at his death. Has been stabbed. So yeah. you don't know what happened until you see the sword and Cloud is like Sephiroth, there's and only then one it's like, person who yeah, could use that only Sephiroth sword. uses that sword. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So and so, that's basically so given that that's kind of where the FF7 the original ends off. I think can we say at this point that this is like the moment where we are now This is the cutoff sure, point. Sure, we can spoil the original. This okay. is the cutoff point. Like we're an hour in, we're going to spoil stuff about Final Fantasy 7 now. The original. Like even just to say like Barrett doesn't die in Final yeah, Fantasy 7. He doesn't <laughs> die. I mean, I, that is a, I guess is a, spoiler. a spoiler. Right. But um, he doesn't die here either. But let's say so from here on out Final Fantasy VII spoilers, everything goes. So the Whispers decided that he's not supposed to die, or they know he's not supposed to die, so they revive him. It's all very strange, and you're like, what is going on? Um, And then, um, yeah, yeah, so, and then you go through the same, same as the original, where, like, the party gets split up, Cloud fights Rufus on a rooftop, which also happens in the original. You also fight his dog. In the Mm -hmm. remake, I actually really love that fight. It's, like, a really cool, just tricky, gimmicky fight that I really enjoyed. Um, Then uh, downstairs, Mm -hmm. there's the tank fight with Aerith Barrett and 
and Tifa, and that was kind of like a bullet spongy, less fun fight. Um, but that also happens in the original, so I guess they felt the need to just like do this boss gauntlet, just like in the original game. Um, and then sure. you all wind up escaping. Uh, the most of the party winds up on a truck, and Cloud comes out on his motorcycle and is a super badass, extremely good um, cutscene. And then yeah. you have to do this whole motorcycle sequence that took me forever. I lost it like four times. Um, such a pain in yeah, the ass. Yeah, I found it weirdly hard too. Mm-hmm. I think because you can't heal Cloud during those moments. Like you have to wait until the predetermined exactly. moments when he gets to be healed. Yeah, and, you have and to just it's very easy to get hit by then. the bosses like flames and shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you how I played it. I I think it was one of the bosses there. I kicked it down to easy because I was just over it and I wanted to see the ending. Yeah, and you were like, I'm almost at the end of the That's game. That's allowed. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, this keeps going. So I kicked it down to easy, and then there's no point at which you can kick it back for a while. So I actually did that whole vehicle segment on easy, Fair and it was great because it was fine. I was <laughs> That's like, whatever. This, they they made it, don't they make it skippable? Like if you replay that section, they're like, and you can skip that shitty part on your motorcycle in hard yeah. mode. Yeah, and yeah, really, yeah. That's or, like, funny. The chapter selection. because they acknowledge that it's not good. So yeah. I was actually like, oh, this is fine. <laughs> And I later saw people complaining about it and didn't even know it was a problem. Well, it's one of those things where it's like, even if they mm-hmm. know it's not good, they feel like they have to have it in there because it's in the original. That's it's one of those original. things where like, mm-hmm. people will be mad if you didn't have the bike chopping sequence. And in the original, it was like, uh, like gimmicky, but kind of like, oh, cool right. new stuff that they're doing. But anyway, so then you get to the end of the highway and people who played the original probably thought at this point, okay, how are they going to end this game in a satisfying fashion when in the original? Don't you think that people who played the original are already thinking, I know exactly what's going to happen? Or at least I was. No. So I guess you weren't. I want to know that. So what, <laughs> that's what you were thinking? playing the game before anyone else had played it. So exactly. I had no idea. Like, I didn't have the experience of reading, like, people's hints and teases and seeing people talk about or it. Or knowing it would surprise you. So I thought that... What did you think about the whispers or, like, what was happening Well, so there? I got yeah, to this yeah. point. Well, so Aerith does explain at some point, like, the whispers keep things on track. Right. And Red 13 does, um, Or too. Red 13 yeah. says that, yeah. Someone says that, like, sure. in an enigmatic way. But I had no idea that it was going to go huh. the way it did. So I thought it was going to be like a Sephiroth fight, and then you would go off to red to into to the world, and it would be like now to chase Sephiroth. I did not mm-hmm. expect what was about to happen. So what happens hmm. is okay. you get to the end of the highway. There's some really cool, just like cinematography, where you see the party staring at like this big gray portal that Sephiroth has created. And man, here is where some things get left open to interpretation because Nomura. Yeah. This is very Nomura sequence. This is where the game goes full But I don't think he hearts. wrote it. Like, people keep saying that, but I don't think this guy came up with this stuff. Um, like, so, it feels... So you get in. I don't know who so, did. So Sephiroth um, invites you or sa- talks about, like, like how he's he... like, come find me. Yeah, he says, come mm-hmm. find me. Like, he, he opens up this portal and you get there and it's like... The whispers of time have manifested as these giant, like, arbiters of fate or whatever, and they're, like, big mystery, yeah. like, ghost alien characters, and you have to go well, around so and fight them. so did you assess one of those in the fight yeah, and notice what it like says? Yeah, it's, like, protecting time with your gun or something like that, right? Well, no, it says this is a person from a future timeline who's protecting it. A person it. from a future timeline? Interesting. Yeah, it implies I don't think I assessed one that said that. Oh, well, when I implied them, that's what they say. And it's my, the implication to me was these are actually characters from the original game manifesting as these sort of godlike beings who are being powered wow. by destiny. Like Bizarre. one of them, fi- one, one of them fights kind of like Cloud. Like the red one has a sword and it fights kind of like Cloud. And then one of them Interesting. is, so I, I haven't done a ton of like, 
looking into this, but that's my sense is that that's what they are. But yeah, the description was like, this is a person from a future timeline that is trying to protect it happening. I thought it said it was an entity from a future timeline. So I just interpreted it as like an actual ghost because part of the context here is that suddenly your party starts seeing all these things that, so the whole game you've been seeing clouds flashbacks and a lot of them are like Nibelheim and stuff that actually happened in his past. Now suddenly you start Mm -hmm. seeing things that are supposed to happen in the future. Like you see Aris dying. There were some before, right? I saw Aerith, like, her praying thing before she gets killed. Yeah, when was that Mm -hmm. flashback? Was that earlier in the game? Some at some point in the game, I definitely I remember seeing it and thinking. I think it's like seventy five percent of the way through. Okay, it's not so, like mm-hmm. super early on, but yeah. anybody who's played the original game sees that motion and is like, "That's when Aerith is about to die." Okay, got but it. I don't think so, anybody else would think that. Like so, somebody who's playing remake for the first time wouldn't see that flashback and be like, "Oh, wait, that's Aerith dying," would they? Because I don't think they show it. Right, which is one of the reasons you need to have played the original to understand what's going on. I just don't agree with that take. But, but, but keep so going. yeah, so then so then you get to this part and then you start seeing these flashes and. Um, you see this flashback of Red 13 and his cubs running through uh, like a deserty area and someone says like this is a vision of like the bat what would happen if things go wrong or something like that and what's crazy right. is if you if you haven't played the original you probably have no idea what they're talking about it but if you have you know that that exact shot is the very end of Final Fantasy 7's epilogue and it's set like 500 years in the future and the implication is that the meteor has come to earth and destroyed all of humanity because that's the end of Final Fantasy 7 is left a little bit open to interpretation. There's a lot to unravel there because Advent Children kind of like like makes that not canon. So who knows what what is actually canon with the ending of Final Fantasy 7? But um, but that's the implication from the epilogue is that humanity is extinct by the planet right. and meteor. I think you could read this and it's all canon. I don't remember Advent Children that well. But it's basically like Sephiroth has c- copies of himself, right? And he's trying to change what happened. No, well, so so the implication would be that at the end of the original Final Fantasy VII, Sephiroth's plan to destroy the Earth with Meteor actually works, and that's why humanity is gone. But Advent Children is set two years after the original, so everyone's still around. Right. Humanity's still around. Mm-hmm. So that's the big question. So you see these flashes, and someone's like, that is a vision of like a bad future. And then you wind up fighting the Whispers of Fate. You destroy them, um, and then you change the future apparently and so then a few interesting things happen suddenly you meet this guy with black hair and a giant sword and if you haven't played the original you're probably like who the fuck is that but if you have played the originals you're like or seen some of the final fantasy 7 canon you're racking your brain and you're thinking is that guy in the originals and then you're googling it and you're saying oh right right it's, oh, Zach, right, right. Um, it's, it's Zach he is in the originals but only in like an optional scene that you can see if you go to Gonzaga which is like this optional city but anyway so you this is Zach and Zach is um, Cloud's original buddy. Oh, no, he's also in the original flashbacks. What am I talking about? Because Cloud winds up pretending to be him in like his right. super fucked up traumatic backstory and the flashbacks you see of him. It's like are, why he wears that sleeveless turtleneck the whole time. And the sword, and he wears Zach's sword. <laughs> but anyway, so you wind up seeing this, this kind of scene of Zack and if you played Crisis Core or know the story you know that this is where Zack dies he is killed by a bunch of Shinra uh, army men and like and saves Cloud basically and mm-hmm. then Cloud stumbles to Midgar and takes his sword in his honor um, but then after the timeline after you fight the Whispers of Fate and defeat them suddenly we see Zack again and Zack survives and he's walking to Midgar with Cloud and Carrying they're both Cloud. very much alive and then we see this shot of Stamp who is this dog that you see throughout the game but it's a different breed of 
of Dog, so which kind of implies that it's an alternate timeline that you're seeing. Um, and then you see Aerith and everyone and in the original, um, I guess, timeline or whatever, like right after defeating the Whispers of Fate, they walk off into Midgar and Aerith is like looking up and she seems disturbed and she's like, mm, something's wrong here. I miss the steel sky of Midgar. And then you see this ridiculous Chiron that is like the unknown journey will continue. And the whole implication of this, and we will see what actually happens, but the implication is that from here on out, it is not a remake anymore, and they've changed the timeline, yeah. and they can do anything they want with the story. So here's my question. I think that this is not actually a remake of Final Fantasy VII, or at least that there's an interpretation of this game that it is not a remake. That it is, in fact, called Final Fantasy VII Remake as a subtitle, in that the next one could be called Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. What dreams may come. You know what I mean? Like rebirth, sure. Um, (laughs) Because this is, it is concerned with remaking the events of the opening part of Final Fantasy VII, but it's actually a sequel because it's possible that Sephiroth is the same Sephiroth from Advent Children and from FF7, and he is traveling through time and using his new ability to go into, like, whatever, the dimensional, like, the Dark Tower, the the crux of all dimensions, Mm -hmm. in order to, like, undo what happened at the end of FF7 and give himself whatever it is, whatever ending it is that he actually wants. So this is actually, like, in that meta timeline taking place after that. And at this point, we've now reached the point where now everybody is now way past anything that happened in the original timeline because we've like surpassed it, which is kind of fascinating because there was so much discussion of whether this should be called Final Fantasy Remake Chapter 1, but now that we've finished it, it it. could just be that that's just an an actual conscious fake out. And this is actually just a sequel. There was some quote, is it Nomura who was like, this is a game that fans have been waiting, whatever, 23 years to play? Mm -hmm. And it's that quote kind of implies that this is a sequel to Final Fantasy VII that people yeah. have been waiting for that long Yeah, I mean, the question is, is it really a sequel or is it, are we going to see in the next game? Like, we have no idea what might happen. Like, it might be just, like, the original events just, like, slightly altered. It might be major alterations. Like, but I mean, how, with what Sephiroth is doing, that would be really surprising. I mean, sure, anything is possible. Also, like, the whole story doesn't even work anymore if Zack is alive. Like, Cloud's entire well, identity and, like, That seems like an deal. alternate time. That's a thing. Well, exactly. But if the game is going to explore like multiple timelines concurrently, for example, then do we see a timeline where Zack is alive and what that looks like and Cloud is going to be a completely different person in that version of the world? Maybe he can't defeat Sephiroth or whatever. Like, I don't know what that intention is. It would make no sense to have him join the the original timeline that we see in the game because Cloud has a buster sword. By the way, Maddie, I have a great theory that you're going to love, which is that (laughs) the second entry in this game series is going to pull a Kingdom Hearts 2 in the first five hours you'll play as Zack instead of uh, instead of Cloud. Oh, I was thinking that that might happen too. I would be so into that. Yeah. I, I mm-hmm. actually think that would work really well. And that was one of the thoughts that I had too, where I was just yeah. like, this is going to be like every Final Fantasy VII fan fiction that people have been writing for years where like, what if Zack was alive and he got to date Tifa and Aerith and like they just like do a weird mindfuck thing where like they create that reality for you where they're like, Zack's here and like he's going to do a bunch of stuff that isn't the same as what Cloud would do, but it's going to be like a parallel version of <laughs> that um, and yes. that would be weird yes. that would be fun and weird let me just say for the record <laughs> that I love this by the way I'm so happy that they're doing something totally batshit and uh, yeah. different 
Like, I didn't want to play a one-to-one remake of the original. No, no, no. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, I wouldn't have been mad at it, but, like, it's way cooler that they're doing something incredibly strange. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They're just messing around with the timeline. (laughs) Agree. And the parallel here is, for me anyway, so people keep saying, like, I was initially thinking, oh, this this is hurting my head the way that Westworld did. Yes. (laughs) Just because you see the dog and you're like, oh, that's the dog looks different. And Uh if you notice that, which I did notice that because I guess I watched Westworld and trained myself to notice (laughs) when things are different to look for parallel dimensions. But actually, the thing that this is closest to for me and the reason that I like it and think it works is it reminds me of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek reboot. I was going to say Lost. So it's funny that you say another (laughs) J.J. Abrams thing. It's nothing like Lost. We can't talk about that. (laughs) No, because, well, no, specifically the Star Trek thing, though, because what that movie did and I, I... like that first movie, especially like the first, whatever, 45 minutes of that first J.J. Abrams Star Trek. It's really good. But I love the way that they both, they have their cake and they eat it too because they establish a parallel timeline mm-hmm. in canon. They even bring over Spock so that they can yeah. like really tie it in and both be respectful to the original and give fans something but tell their own story in a way that's actually supported by what's happening in the story. Mm-hmm. And they're doing the same thing here. Like they, they can do all this fanfic stuff, but because Sephiroth is actually enacting some sort of master plan to change the nature of fate and destiny and to like write some new reality, we also get a new story story that they're hopefully going to tell more of. I don't want to do too much of just like imagining alternate scenarios, like too much alternate destiny or or timeline shit for me loses me just because I'm like, well, which one matters? Like what matters anymore? I want to stick with these main characters with Cloud and Tifa and Barrett. Yeah, we like them now. So you want to stick with those guys. But I'm excited as hell for all the things they could do. Granted, there's a thousand ways they could screw it up. I mean, it could, (laughs) including the game could just never come out. Like the next game could just not come out forever. But I'm very, very excited after that finale for sure so um yeah i have a lot of questions not just story-wise but also mechanically because the original this this remake feels like such a complete mechanical advance that like by the end you've advanced all the top level spells and summons you got right. in bahamut and shiva and mm-hmm. leviathan and whatever and your level is super high like what are they going to do for the next game are you are you just going to start from scratch are you going to carry this over and they'll try to find new ways to advance you it's all it's going to feel weird either way and it's going to feel a little unsatisfying either way i think well you'll probably start out as zach just like you said right. so then you'll right. have to level up that guy and by the time you've done that when you get the oh other God. characters back again oh you'll just you know They're, upgrade their yeah. weapons and they'll already be really high level and um, just do that. yeah but but story-wise <laughs> i mean the more interesting conversation is like what the hell are they going to do with this story and i think it's safe yeah. to say that like you're going to be going to a lot of the same places yes. um mm-hmm. they've already hinted at wutai and the golden saucer and cosmo canyon and etc cetera, etc cetera. and i imagine that they'll introduce some of the characters in the same way because i think people want to see some of that stuff again like people want to see the intro of of people want to see the Junon like parade sure. and Cosmo Canyon going there and meeting Bugenhagen and like um the the rocket town and the the leaning rocket and like you really want to see that stuff in 3D but um I think maybe things will start changing in subtle ways or ways that in which that like uh, similar ways to the original game I don't know one thing that I know for sure is that they will not be doing a world map they're going to find a way to not do a world map I think like I I do I think you're I agree that I think they're going to go to a lot of the same places. We're going to see a lot of the same events, definitely meet the same characters. 
I think that things will start to change because my interpretation here, maybe this isn't even an interpretation, this is just clear, is that the Whispers are now not a factor. Is that right? Like they, yeah, they're dead. We defeated them. They're gone. And now... Yeah, even so in, in the in the alternate timeline, like Zach, they were surrounding Midgar and then Zach saw them all And disappear. then suddenly they weren't. Yes. Right. So they are now gone, which means that I think we're going to gradually get more dramatic changes. And I could see that at some point down the road, something really major is different, like a whole town is just a crater now or something, or just like a thing is totally Someone dip- dies who shouldn't right. die. Someone dies who shouldn't have, like earlier or later. Yeah, right. a different person dies. Yeah, They'll probably try to rescue Aerith. They'll probably have Aerith survive. So- this is mm. I think this is a this is a big question. Let's just talk let's just get to it now. Do you think that Aerith <laughs> is gonna die in this game? That's such a tough question. Uh, I actually do because mm-hmm. so much of the way that she talks and so much of her place in the plot is about her dying and her sacrifice right. and like her conception of self is that. So I think it would be really tough for the story to still work and have the impact it's supposed to have if she doesn't. But I say that not having any freaking clue what the story looks like at this point, and I've only ever seen the other one. So I guess it's easy for me to say that. But there's so much foreshadowing of it even in the first game like there's so much stuff in remake where she like that dream sequence which apparently not everyone gets but the dream sequence where she's like don't fall in love with me cloud like basically every single line she says to cloud on that dream sequence is i'm going to die it's going to happen to me i will die soon like it's like all of her lines are that so it's hard for me to take it any other way like even even if the whispers are defeated i i still am Uh like clearly this is what we're all moving towards you know well yes so i agree with that but the question of whether or not she's actually going to die is slightly different only because her death is the event of this game and mm-hmm. they're going to make a ton of hay out of that event i mean they've been like you said they foreshadowed a thousand ways to sunday they're going to mm-hmm. keep doing that we're definitely going to get to that chamber we're going to get to the sequence where she's like praying where sephiroth drops down that's all going to happen is she going to die in the same way at the same place that i i actually kind of doubt i think that mm-hmm. it's going to work very differently if she does and there's also this whole question of like returning to the planet and like whether Aerith yeah. becoming the planet is actually dead at all and whether she right. wakes up and comes back which is like a question advent children wrestles with in a really weird way that movie's yeah, so freaking weird yeah i have like a fever <laughs> i barely remember them you should rewatch it, it we should all rewatch it <laughs> that would be kind of fun to do like a live watch where we record it and put it in the so, bonus feed yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it would definitely take away a lot of the emotional impact of the game if if they didn't kill her. But, um, well, so I have to rewatch the ending of the remake because there's a part where, like, Aerith is reluctant to go in. And it's not clear if, like, she, mm-hmm. like there's a part where she's reluctant to go into the portal. And it's not clear if she knows that, like, going in would lead to her death eventually or going in would lead to her not dying eventually. Because a lot of it, there's a lot of implication right. that she knows exactly what's going on and she can see the future in this game there's a lot of implication that she has like a lot of knowledge that she's not sharing with everyone Um, so it makes me wonder like it's not really clear maybe she didn't want to go in because she knew what was supposed to happen and she doesn't know what's going to happen now like there's a lot of questions but it's worth noting I think I saw an interview with Kitase the producer of the game and a longtime Final Fantasy developer um, saying that uh, like the next games are mostly going to stick to the script of what we know. So anyone who's expecting mm. like some drastically different game, I don't think that's what we're going to see. But also, was that just a fake out too? Could be. Like, yeah, what know. even? 
what? Yeah, <laughs> in terms of like, there's, I think there's, there's no question that this is going to largely follow the same trajectory of Final Fantasy VII, but there are going to be so many differences that when they get to the one thing that's the most dramatic thing that's like ever happened in a video game, that's a big the question. loss that so many people couldn't deal with, that they tried to mod Aerith into the game, that there are like all these people, these theories for years and years and years that Aerith lives. You can find ways to save her if you just level up this one material or do this side quest. Like the fact that that, I mean, it's one of the most defining things in all of games culture. There's no way that now that they've established that other things can happen, that they're not going to mess with that. And probably, I mean, given that by the time we get there, who knows what will be going on in the broader, this meta story of Sephiroth hacking the past and changing timelines, anything could happen. Like, and she'll probably die, whatever. It's like not that, that's not the most interesting Mm -hmm. thing. And I bet it won't be at the time either. It'll be much more like, what does it mean for her to die or for her to to make a sacrifice or to become one with the planet again? Or will she come back? It would be a real cop out if they added a way to let you revive her in some If she came back, it wouldn't quite be fair. Maybe, but maybe not. It could work. There could be a way that it works. (laughs) I've certainly seen people say like Cloud could die in that moment and like that's a pretty popular theory going around. And then you just play as somebody else for the rest Mm -hmm. of the game. Maybe Aerith mm -hmm. even. Well, you do. I mean, you do play as Tifa for a while when Cloud is in, mm-hmm. in a coma. But um, oh, right, another right. theory I've seen is that so what actually ha- what happens in Aerith's death sequence is that right before Sephiroth comes out and kills her, he tries to get Cloud to kill her, and Cloud comes really yes. close to killing her. Mm-hmm. I've seen a theory that what if Cloud right. actually kills her in this game, then that would be right. wild. Oh, man. Or if he just kills himself in that moment in some way. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you. It's could just go there. amazing that it's leaving us with all these questions, and I love that fact. Like I love that, and yeah, Kirk. I had so I had the same thought that my immediate thought when I finished the game was like, oh my god, it's called Final Fantasy VII Remake because this is the only game that's the remake, and like the next parts are not going to be remakes anymore. And I was like, wow, this this title <laughs> thing, it actually makes sense. I get it now, um, uh-huh. even if it is still misleading to people like your friend Maddie who expected to play right. the entire game. Well, he's just playing the original game, which again, this whole game is really just the greatest advertisement for Final Fantasy VII, the original. <laughs> Right. ever because yeah, like so many people got to the end and they felt like it was a cliffhanger and maybe they were just intrigued yeah. by it or whatever mm-hmm. enjoyed the game and were just intrigued by the mysteries it's all a and marketing they're just strategy. playing the original game again and it's like I was great. honestly surprised that it wasn't in the top downloads on the eShop right? on Switch I was like I feel like everyone must want to I want to play it so bad after finishing the game well I bet yeah. most um, people play it on PS4 because they just played the remake on probably, PS4 probably yeah oh I guess that's or true. they get it on PC I mean it's on so many platforms but yeah. I would be curious platform. to know if it's or you just... can even play it on your phone now. Like it's it's yeah. got a pretty good iOS version. Um, all right, mm-hmm. so um, I think that is it. Do you want? Do you guys want to give any final thoughts? Why don't we each give our final thoughts on the Final Fantasy VII remake? I liked this game a lot. Um, we've talked about the combat. <laughs> cool. I've said the things about it that I sort of didn't love. It did grow on me the combat by the end. I will say I liked it more at the end of the game. I'm guessing if I tried like. You know, hard mode, I would appreciate more things about it. There are fundamental things about it that I don't like that I'll never like. Mm-hmm. But um, so the act of actually playing it, at least the combat is like not my favorite thing. But everything else about this game, and I include other gameplay things in it too, all the goofy mini games that, my God, we didn't talk about it, but the, where you have to like move the levers together. I think I <laughs> tweeted that that was the, the worst thing that I've ever loved. <laughs> like, I loved we that We talked sequence. about it a couple of weeks ago on the show. Maybe we yeah, did, we okay. Did. It's terrible, though. I, I loved it, and it is so bad. And yeah. there's a lot of stuff like that in the game. It's so goofy, it's so silly. And then there are just these sequences, so many of them. 
um, Tifa thanking the cat that Wedge is alive. Like we, 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 there's so much detail that we had to move quickly through just to cover the events of the whole story. But mm-hmm. there's so many moments where they just drill down and they grabbed it and we're like, okay, we're going to have Tifa thank the cat and the cat is going to meow at her. Um, you're welcome <laughs> basically like in cat language um, yeah. or the dancing sequence we're going to blow it out into this like incredibly produced like and choreographed thing with like lights and music it's going to be so freaking cool and that over and over and over again that by the end I just it was amazing to me like the the whole experience of playing it it felt improbable and wonderful and I loved it and even if they never make another one I'll be super glad that I it's played still it. great yeah. yeah yeah I feel similar Maddie what are your final thoughts um, so for me, this game is a big deal because I didn't even like Final Fantasy VII that much at all. Like, I sure. found a lot of it super tedious. There were certainly things about it that I thought were interesting, but I always thought it was kind of overrated. When, But I also finally played it after, like, not playing it for many years and having it overhyped to me. So I just, like, had a bad relationship with the game. I thought Tifa and Aerith were really tedious as well, just as characters, and I didn't think the love triangle was cool. So, like, playing this game has been such a redemption story in my own mind of, like, the kind kinds of characterizations that I wanted to see with I guess the exception of Barrett who I still feel like the game fails in some ways and I'm sort of hoping that subsequent games can like improve Mm -hmm. on that characterization and there's certainly a lot of room there but like the stuff they do with Tifa and Aerith in this game and Cloud is so powerful to me and it makes replaying the original game a lot better and it helps me forgive some of the shakiness of the translation and just the lack of characterization in certain areas or just Mm -hmm. irritating things. Like when Tifa and Aerith and Cloud and Barrett all get kidnapped and they're in the prison cells, there's like all these awkward territorial moments between Tifa and Aerith in the dialogue that are just like, who fucking cares? Like, don't make the female (laughs) characters do this. Like, I hate Mm -hmm. that stuff. And they just don't do it in this version. And I love that. I'm just like, finally I can like a Final Fantasy VII thing. And like, that rules and I wasn't expecting it at all. I thought that this was going to be a situation where we all played this game and I hated it and I was just going to have to put up with it and be like, <laughs> right, I don't have any nostalgic feelings about this game, so I hate it. But you don't need them. It's, it's just really good. I think it's a great game. Mm-hmm. You might actually hate it more if you have too many of those nostalgic feelings. I think feelings. so. Yeah, I think that this game is maybe for possible. people like me <laughs> who are like, the original's <laughs> right. fine. It's for people <laughs> who know? want something right, right. different and it's so ballsy yeah. as Square Enix to release this game and be like, hey, we're remaking Final Fantasy VII just like you want it. But... Psych! <laughs> no, we're not. Um, and it really, it's, it, it feels like it's commenting on the nature of remakes. I wrote about this in my review. It feels like the whispers themselves are like this this meta commentary on a whole lot of different things, like the developers and the fans. And they it's can like, certainly be read that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very, I, I read it as like them, as the developers being like, nope, we have to go back and fix this. We have to go around and fix everything. And that like Cloud and Aerith and Tifa by killing them just like freed the developers to do what they wanted um right. but it's, it could also be read as like the fan expectations the hardcore fans who are like no mm-hmm. we have to we have to hold you to this and yeah it's so ballsy and i love it i love that they did that they did this that they pulled this off um yeah. but like there was this whole thing hanging over me as i played it that it was like it just felt like i was playing an incomplete game because i know the original story so well and the whole time i was just like damn i wish i could see cosmo canyon and junon and all this other stuff that i know is going to be coming in fe- like down the road like who knows when um mm-hmm. i think that square did a disservice to everybody by not saying up front hey here is how many games are going to be in this thing and like here is yeah, our like, estimated time 
like doing the Marvel thing out. where they stand yeah. there with a board behind them. I think that them. would have really helped. And it's possible. I mean, what they told me at E3 last year was that they didn't actually know. And like, okay, fair enough. Yeah, if of you course. Really don't I'm know. guessing that's why. Yeah. But yeah. like, still make a fucking decision and stick to it because like. <laughs> Like, they need a Kevin just, Feige. They just don't have a Kevin yeah, Feige. Yeah, they really do because yeah. just having that ambiguity in the nature of this project, I think really hurts it. And on one hand, it leaves us asking questions, but like we could have still been asking the same number of questions even knowing that like, okay, there are going to be three games and they're each going to come mm-hmm. out every two years and maybe mm-hmm. there's some window for flexibility in case they have to slip or something like that. But like, still, just not even having any clue when the next one will even show up is very... like difficult yeah and it makes me more skeptical about them continuing to be as yeah good like as will they ever actually one. finish this thing is it gonna be like a george r. r martin thing where it's never actually finished like because they have no pages yeah. or like a star wars situation where like one person starts out with a certain idea in mind and then they didn't have a clear roadmap and that didn't really yeah, work. That's yeah, that's the problem with these stories that are just like left unfinished um, and without a clear roadmap for everybody it's it's unfortunate yeah. Though, that the, i mean we have this beautiful moment in this where these mm-hmm. established characters discover the fact that they're trapped within a story that has already been mm-hmm. authored for them mm-hmm. and they kill the people who are controlling them <laughs> and yeah. break their way out. And now the future is unwritten. And while I agree and I like share all of the concerns about what may happen and am enjoying imagining what might happen, I also, if I really do mean that if it ended right now, just knowing that these characters that so many people have loved for so many years have now broken free of the story <laughs> that they were trapped within for yes. this hellish two <laughs> two plus decades and yeah. now can like write their own destiny. Just knowing that makes me very happy. And well, like I'm is... I'm actually happy in this current state. And maybe we'll be happier now than I will be at any later point (laughs) when the later games actually come out. So yeah, just enjoy it now. Exactly. That's kind of what I'm saying. It is is probably more fun to imagine what might be than it is uh, to actually experience it. That's all. And to enjoy the moment. And to to enjoy the moment that they all earned for themselves by Um, killing that god or whatever it was they did. (laughs) So now it is time for us to defeat the Whispers of Fate and break free of this podcast. Um, It is. It is. Oh, all right. Kirk and Maddie, uh, uh, it was fun to spill the beans together and we will, of course, be uh, running a beans cast every month or so for subscribers. <laughs> and hey, thank you to yeah. everybody who's become a member to listen to this episode and just to support us making this show. We really appreciate it. Okay. Um, so in that case, keep an eye out and yeah, we will see you next time. All right. See you both next time. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edited and mixed the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll head over to MaximumFun.org join and consider becoming a member. Doing so helps support us and gets you access to an exclusive Triple Click episode each month. Find us online at TripleClickPodcast.com, on Twitter at TripleClickPod, and send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.